Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and today we're talking about the film that hasn't just taken over the United States, but has taken the whole world by storm. That is Avengers Endgame. As of this recording, it's made over $1.2 billion, which is absolutely insane. It definitely broke the record for biggest opening weekend of any film, and it's also broken, I believe, 20-plus other records as well. So it's definitely one of those once-in-a-generation type of films. It's really not just a film, but it's an entire event in general. So a couple of weeks ago, I had Steve Wise, Jason Robbins, and Wally Phelps on the show to talk about our retrospective look on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, in doing that show, we had the idea, well, why don't we come back in a couple of weeks after we've all seen Endgame, and we'll talk about it. And that's exactly what we do. And as a disclaimer, this is a very spoiler-heavy show. So if you have not seen Endgame yet, first I would ask, why are you listening to the show instead of watching Endgame? So go see it, then come back and listen to the podcast. We dive deep into what we thought of the film, some of the big moments, things that maybe we weren't exactly expecting, but actually worked out really well, where we think the Marvel Cinematic Universe might go from here, and also how not just Endgame, but you can go back to Infinity War and all of the big Marvel movies, it's really kind of changed the way that we've looked at going to the movies. You know, it's not just going and, you know, sitting in a chair, eating popcorn, having a soda, and watching a movie, but it's, you know, you now go with a huge group of friends, and you have this big event that you go to, and then everyone discusses it either just in their inner circle or... You know, if you have a podcast like mine or a YouTube show, you go on and discuss it. So it's inspired so many great things, and I think that's what's so special about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and this huge journey that it's been on. So um, I'll quit rambling for now, but I, I will say, once again, as a disclaimer, this is a spoiler-heavy show, so you have been warned. So without further ado, here is the Avengers Endgame recap with fellow filmmakers Steve Wise, Jason Robbins, and Wally Phelps. So two weeks ago, these three guys and I did a kind of a recap of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we had the idea, why not come back after Endgame came out and give our thoughts on it? So... Before I introduce everyone, I will say that the show will be filled with spoilers for Avengers Endgame. So if you haven't seen it yet, number one, why are you listening to this podcast instead of watching Endgame? Two, go see it, then come back and listen to the show. Oh, crap. I thought we were talking about Hellboy. I thought we were talking about Game of Thrones. What we... <laughs> and I still haven't watched Age of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you could, should consider yourself the lucky one. <laughs> so I'm joined along with, once again, one of the co-creators of Monsters Anonymous and my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro Show. It's, and it's been so long since we've done a podcast, even longer than the last time that you were on the show. Mr. Jason Robbins, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been, what, less than 10 minutes since we wrapped Nerd Cave Retro? Yeah. Something uh, like not that. that. Four minutes. Yeah. Just enough time to go to the restroom and grab a snack. Yep. Also joining us, 
the other creator of Monsters Anonymous, Mr. Wally Phelps. How are you this evening, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, sir? I am great as well. And also, just coming back from a film festival in Michigan, Mr. Steve Wise, the director and writer of Survey. How are you this evening? Um, surprisingly well, considering I've been traveling all day and had quite an adventure during my travel. So, um, but I'm home and I'm doing well. Do you awesome. feel as tired as we did when we went to Tampa? Because that was a trip. Um, no, <laughs> actually, I, I feel fairly refreshed. Um, so. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are here to discuss Avengers Endgame, which I think is is definitely safe to say is not just the movie of the year so far, but the movie event, because we lightly touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but I think the MCU and this movie specifically has in a way changed the way that we look at movies, because it's not just coming to, not going to the theater just to see a film, but the buildup to this has just been insane and something that we've never really seen before. You know, it's been 11 years and has spanned over 20 films. So do you guys agree with me in the sense that this movie specifically and the MCU as a whole has changed the way that we view and look forward to summer films? Yes, and but the thing I'm afraid of is, uh, I mean, you see that DC has already tried to do the same thing and failed. I just worry that people are going to be too consumed with trying to do, uh, you know, these big grandiose stories and cinematic universes, but they don't do it as well as Marvel did. I don't even know if Marvel can do it again. I mean, this was like the, 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 um, universal's dark universe was such a huge hit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's because they didn't have me and Wally writing it. That's right. <laughs> and that's the second time they tried that. <laughs> it's it's like, okay, so we're going to start out with Van Helsing, and we're going to introduce all of these monsters, and oh, that didn't work. Okay, uh, so we'll start out with the mummy. But this time we got Tom Cruise, and oh, okay. Uh, people apparently don't want a Tom Cruise mummy movie. Um, what do we do? Well, the, the whole... The problem is that they're setting out to create a universe. And even though Marvel was doing that, they were doing it tentatively. You know, when Iron Man came out, they didn't know where this would lead. You know, yeah, they they had the the little um, end credit scene that teased the Avengers, you know, that uh, Nick Fury was there offering him to join, you know, the the whole thing. but it could have ended right there. You know, if, if the first Iron Man movie did not make money, um, they would have been dead in the water. You yeah. know, or if Thor or, you know, some of these other movies just didn't hit very well, they may not have gone with full, you know, done the whole story with the Avengers. You know, they may have just said, okay, well, we just do a couple one-offs and that's it. But because they had this whole comic universe to draw from it just kind of made sense that that's what they would do they would tie in all these movies yeah and i don't think marvel really found their footing uh, uh, until about three or four years ago 
I mean, don't get me wrong. The first Avengers, the lead up to the first Avengers was, was great. You know, you had your standalone. You started out with Iron Man. You had Thor uh, built up to the, the first Avengers movie. Uh, of course, Incredible Hulk wasn't all that great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then after it sort of had some missteps with, you know, Iron Man 2, uh, Thor 2, um, Age of Ultron. That was kind of a weak spot. But it seems like after Age of Ultron, you know, especially like, I, I, you know, Endgame and and Infinity War, great. But you know, like the Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier, Civil War, and like uh, Ragnarok are probably my three favorite MCU movies at this yeah. point, uh, other than you know uh, Infinity War and Endgame. But I kind of look at those as a separate entity. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason why these movies work better as uh, a series, an interconnected series and the ones that we're making fun of don't really is because the ones that are basically studio mandated reek of artifice. Yeah. They, they seem fake. Like they, yeah. like you're trying too hard. And we audiences are a little more sophisticated than that, uh, thankfully. And so whenever something like, you know, the Fantastic Beasts movie started, it's like, okay, we thought this was going to be one thing, but it's not. We don't like it. Don't do it anymore. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. It's uh, it's one of those miracles that these movies exist, that this whole saga exists. Because if you told me 11 years ago when Iron Man came out that in 11 years we're going to see one of the most epic things (laughs) that you will ever see in your life on screen, and then you describe it to me, I would call you a mad person. Yeah. There's not enough money in the world that they would make that movie. Well, you know, in, in even like I was saying, the first few movies, because they were standalone films and origin stories for each of the individual characters up to that point, um, when they did the Avengers, the first film, it was like, oh my God, finally they got these characters in a movie together. And it was just the, what, the five of them. So, yeah. it, you know, it, it felt like, you know, how can you put that many superheroes together in a movie and do any of them justice. And now we've got Infinity War and Endgame that, I mean, how many characters are, are in there that have major <laughs> all roles of and storylines all woven <laughs> together? And I mean, it's just, they've done an incredible job with that. But mm-hmm. I don't think that they really knew what they were doing early on. They, they were just kind of trying it out and seeing what was going to work. And, you know, I mean, you look at some of the, threads that they started that didn't really go anywhere and I think like, yeah okay that that doesn't work we're just gonna kind of ignore that and move on to something that does i think once they got the russo brothers on and then of course james gunn came along and knocked guardians of the galaxy out of the park i think at that point is when the universe really started to feel like the the mcu like yeah. that's things started to really become what it is now. Well, and I think that has a lot to do with foundation because 
Yeah. Whenever the first few movies came out, they were laying that foundation. Okay, superhuman characters exist. And then with Guardians of, uh, well, you know, with uh, Avengers, they introduced the idea that, well, there's also aliens. Yeah. And mm-hmm. with Thor, they introduced, okay, magic is also real. And then they introduced Guardians of the Galaxy, which which opened up the whole cosmic universe. So they just kept building on what they had until it ended with the crescendo that is Endgame. And I I think that is yes, there's a lot of threads that they opened that they didn't really that didn't really go anywhere. And yes, there's uh, some course corrections that you can see throughout the uh, the saga, but it's still incredible storytelling to tell essentially one story across 22 movies. Yeah. And that is insane. It's basically a TV show. You yeah. have to go yeah. to the theater to see. Yeah. No, I agree a hundred percent with that. And, and kind of going back to, you know, we we've talked about how DC has tried to do it and it didn't work. Universal well, DC went about it in a really dumb way. Yes, <laughs> but the the thing with with Marvel and I, I've read interviews with with Kevin Feige saying that this whole thing has been planned out for so long, but it doesn't feel like they're trying to force anything. And yeah, they've corrected a couple of things, and there have been storylines that were abandoned, but it doesn't really feel forced. Like it, it feels like this whole you know, 11 year story has progressed in an organic way. And I think in a way that's, that's the appealing part of it is that it feels like a natural episodic story that really anybody can watch. Well, Hmm. think about it. It's set up like Wally said, if you look at this whole thing as sort of a, a television series, like this whole story was allowed to have room to breathe and grow. And, you know, that's, why a lot of people in, uh, moved to episodic television, you know, in the, the 2000s when and things you could do things like Breaking Bad and, mm-hmm. you know, these more long form stories that Marvel did yeah. with these movies. I mean, you, you, you have to look at it as sort of one big television series. Exactly. So before we really get into uh, you know, like the the spoilers of Endgame and our our thoughts on it. There were a couple of things I did want to ask you guys about it. Now, when they initially announced that the movie was going to be three hours long, now that does include the end credits. And I read some people online were like, oh, you know, that's going to be too long. But I personally, because I, I didn't see it opening night, I saw it uh, Friday morning, or, yeah, Friday morning in Panama City, but it didn't feel like it was three hours long. No, no, it really didn't. So, I mean, I'll go. Here's, uh, here's an interesting thing. When I heard it was three hours long, of course I was worried because of the fact that I am an older person on a diuretic. And I uh, was worried that I wouldn't make it through the whole thing. And I read one of those articles indicating when you can go to the bathroom and it told you about how long into the movie these 
portions of the film were, and they were very vague about what they meant. You know, um, Pepper and Tony are sitting at a couch, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I saw these parts and I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in an, I'm an hour into this movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that doesn't seem right. See, I had to laugh at this whole thing about people, you know, making a big deal about it being three hours long. I am used to three hour long movies. I mean, I sat through Lord of the Rings and Titanic and mm-hmm. number of Spielberg films that are three hours long I mean, or, or close to it. A lot of James Cameron movies that are, you know, cl- right up there. Avatar was was like two and a half to three hours long. So, you know, there's been a lot of big blockbusters, a lot of dramas, a lot of I mean, even going back through history that I mean, you had the Ten Commandments that was like, you know, I think three hours running time in the theaters. Now, granted, way back then they had intermission, so that's a little different story. But, you know, King Kong was three hours long. Yeah. So, you know, there was a big push for between like the 90s, you know, the 90s and the, and the early 2000s, where almost every blockbuster was close to three hours long. So I, I don't really see what the difference is with this one coming out. Maybe it's just been a, a few years since that's happened we've kind of forgotten <laughs> i don't know I intentionally dehydrated myself and still had to pee an hour to it <laughs> yeah well you know and that's the thing it's like uh as i get older i can't hold it as long <laughs> so, so that's the only reason i'm not even I, I had an issue now i did i did make it through the movie but uh it, the frankly it just didn't feel like it was three hours long so i don't no. think that <clears throat> The, well, I, mean, I wasn't even thinking about it, to be honest. Well, there, there wasn't any wasted time, you know, because no. they couldn't. Every scene built into the plot and, and drove the story. Every <laughs> scene was important. I mean, there were uh, a lot of... See, and that's the thing that, that got me, is while I was watching the movie, and you know, the, they had those articles, where can you go to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Nowhere. There is nowhere <laughs> that you can really go to the bathroom. And you'll not miss something because every single, like you said, there is a very good economy of storytelling in this film. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are scenes that possibly could have been cut out because they're repeating something that's already been done or they're just essentially character moments. But, but, you know. But the character moments is what made the movie. 100%. Important. 100%. So for for every article that said, you know, well, you can skip the Ant-Man part because you already know all. No, I don't know how Ant-Man yeah. is reacting to this. You know, I, I, I didn't see that emotional shot of him realizing that he was one of the missing and that yeah. his daughter is still around. I mean, guys, what were you thinking when you wrote that (laughs) i I mean maybe in the grand scheme of things you know during the scene when he's in the monuments that okay you can skip it because you could get caught up later when he goes to his house and meets his daughter and and, yeah you know so so you don't necessarily need that but it's still that was an emotional moment and you know if you don't have those emotional beats all the action is meaningless yeah uh, Zack Snyder, take a uh, take a note, please. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, DC, take a note. I, I, I have to. I have to. Ooh, I I have to actually state that um, I work for the parent company of of uh, Warner Brothers. 
<laughs> and everything I'm saying is my opinion and my <laughs> I forgot. Uh, the following opinions are those of Wally Phelps and Wally Phelps alone. These do not reflect <laughs> Warner Brothers. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I'll have to go back in the intro and add that as a little disclaimer. Yeah, I, I, I forgot. I'm, I, anytime I, I mention something that has something to do with the company that we own. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's just dive into it. Uh, let's um, let's start with let's start with Jason. What did you think of Endgame? And feel free to spoil as much as you want. I thought Endgame was one of the most <laughs> emotionally taxing movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I mean, just from the opening scene, uh, you know, the cold open of the movie where we, we see Clint and his family, and it takes place, I mean, literally seconds before the snap. And then we see basically his entire family turn to ash. And I love that, that immediate, like, okay, we're right back where we started, right? When the last movie ended, here's, here's where Clint was at that point. Like now we're, we're right back into it. And I think there was probably a few scenes that weren't in the movie that I think are probably going to be added in later. Uh, especially involving Captain Marvel. Um, because then as soon as we do that, we go to, to Tony, um, basically uh, recording messages for Pepper, um, knowing that he's going to die because they're almost out of oxygen on the ship, him and uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, then Captain Marvel shows up. So I think there might have been a scene in there where she went back to Earth because of the the, the pager. And well, that was shown up. at the end of Captain Marvel as a mid-credit scene, like the event, yeah. who the Avengers that were left found the pager and then it just kind of stopped working, and all of a sudden she shows up and says, "Where's Fury?" Yeah, I, th- I think that's yeah, you're right. I, I was expecting that to be in this movie. Same, and yeah, too. yeah so so that actually was not just going to see the films. <laughs> but there there were some of the greatest movie moments I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the part when Cap wields Mjolnir and, oh my you God. know, <laughs> I came out of my I knew seat. it. <laughs> and, and Wally can attest to this. I actually yelled, yeah! Yeah. He I sounded think I like gasped. James Hetfield next to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, like it flies through the air and lands in his hand and right next to me, but, Yeah! <laughs> You know, Cap finally says after three Avengers movies, he finally says Avengers Assemble. Yeah, <laughs> that was so amazing. Yeah. Uh, and and the perfect ending at the America story. I mean, you, it could not have been more perfect. I don't think there was a dry eye in the theater when that happened. And, you know, him giving the shield to Falcon. And I know a lot of people want Bucky, but I think they did a good thing by Buck, Bucky saying, no, it's yours. You know, you you go take it. And mm-hmm. that was a good nod, nod off to the handoff of the, the, the cap shield to that character. I think he deserves it. Mm-hmm. And I, I look forward to him as Captain America and, you know, him going back in time and actually getting to live his life with Peggy was just 
that was the perfect end to the captain to the Steve Rogers story. Yeah. You know, everything going with full circle with Iron Man. I, I mean, uh, perfect movie. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the the very beginning I, it, it reminds me of a meme I saw before the movie came out where it's it, it's basically uh, the grandpa from The Princess Bride. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, so where were we? Ah, uh, yes, the pit <laughs> of despair. <laughs> that was basically the opening. <laughs> it was a, I mean, it was a really, it was a really masterful way to bring us back into the world and to remind us what the stakes are. Yeah, and it, and frankly. <laughs> Hawkeye, wait, his, his name's Hawkeye, right? Yeah, <laughs> Clint. Yeah, yeah Clint. I, I keep wanting to call him Clint because that's all they call him in the movie. Yeah, uh, Hawkeye. His his whole character arc was really well done, especially since he didn't really get a lot of. The poor guy has been in many movies, but yes, they tried to to set up this family man dynamic in age of ultron and everybody was like well this seems very forced but in this movie it really pays in, that we had that and just there just to fast forward to no i can't do that jesus there's too much in this movie that i want to talk about because <laughs> like in the first 15 minutes they kill thanos it's like <laughs> what what are we going to do for the rest of the movie? <laughs> and then whenever they start dropping in time travel, I'm like, okay, I'm on board because that's my favorite thing in movies. <laughs> in fact, the line, uh, uh, back to the future is bullshit is one of my favorites <laughs> in the I film. See the movie again. So I can kind of get their time travel. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's the thing to me. It's the Bill and Ted time travel theory. Uh, the Bill and Ted tra time travel theory is essentially that everything is a fixed place in time. The thing is, you cannot change the past. You can only change your future. So, for example, in Bill and Ted, in order to get out of the – to get all of the historical people out of the jail cell, they had to remember that their future selves had to come back – and hide a key in the bushes. Yeah. They did that. So that means they got away with it. And the key is in the bushes. So they they had to remember to put a trash can in the it, it, above the the door of the jail cell to put on top of dad Ted's dad's head so they can escape. And that worked out. So they <laughs> obviously win at the end of it because that's a fixed point in time. So that is how time travel works in this movie. <laughs> You have you can go back and take something, but you, eventually you're going to go back and change everything back to the way it was. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I got the impression that um, if they go back and change something, that it creates a split in like basically kind of like Back to the Future Two, but instead of in Back to the Future Two, things or you know in the Back to the Future movies, uh, the timeline changes around them. Where in this one, it won't because your past is your past. 
Yeah. You know, if you go well, back and change something like, you know, I mean, obviously Gamora is been removed from the past and is now in the present and, and Thanos is dead. So, so here's a, so there, there are, there's a different <laughs> um, timeline out there with those characters not existing, but so it doesn't change this timeline. Well, that's why they had Captain America go back because he was fixing most of those things. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. here's it, my question. I have a question about that. Okay, so Cap goes back in time, spins yeah. his with Peggy, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Ends up in the exact moment that he left, but now he's an old man. So basically, yep. he's still in the same timeline yeah. that we've been in. So those scenes where he went back to talk to Peggy when she was dying. Yeah. Did she know that whole time that, like, did did Steve, the old man Steve, know to not be there when the younger version of himself would come to talk to her yep. as she was dying? Yeah, uh-huh. because yep. that was yeah. his past self. Yes. So she yeah. knew this whole time. I want to go back and watch those scenes and watch her reactions. Did they know when they filmed those scenes that Steve... Probably was- not. <laughs> Probably not, but, but it's so perfect, though, because... I, in fact, I read an article about this. Uh, I forgot if it was Hollywood Reporter or somewhere else, but they were talking about that very thing where, um, you know, old Steve, basically, if you will, um, basically had to stay in hiding and stay off the grid. But because she was definitely married, she had children. But when Steve shows up at her deathbed, her immediate thought was, Steve, you've come back or you're there for me. Well, she'd been married for all these years. Why wouldn't she just immediately think about her husband unless he was her husband? Yeah. And yeah. little things like, you know, Oh, they go back to, um, what was it? 1945. And she has a picture of him on her desk. Presumably she would be, you know, probably not married at that point, but, Oh no, no, it wasn't that time. It was later on. I think, um, when one of the movies, I forgot where, um, we see her and she's wearing a wedding ring, you know? So there's like little clues that she's definitely married, had kids, had a life, but we never know who her husband was. Mm. Yeah. And, and she never reveals. I mean, she was like, well, didn't she become the director of shield at one point? So yeah. Hey, who was her husband? If not Steve Rogers. Yeah. So he had to stay out of the way this whole time with all yeah. this happening he had to just sit it all out correct yeah yeah Hmm. because his his i mean essentially every soldier gets discharged eventually Mm -hmm. it's not his fight anymore what what year did he go back to did they say no but it looked like it was basically the the right right after he got uh plunged in the drink Looked, well, they, they got the Tesseract from 1945, so yeah. presumably he went back to that same time period. Because <clears throat> didn't he say when he went back, he decided to stay? Yeah. Well, they got well. Yeah, he, he had to go back, but um, no, they said when he was coming back, they remember uh, Hulk said that he overshot his return uh, destination or whatever, and he said when he went back to because they could track him, but then something then happened. He couldn't track him anymore. Yeah. And well, the, 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 he had to go back to, it was 1977, wasn't it? The, no, not 1977, uh, 1970 something. I think it was 1970. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what am I thinking of? 1944. But I don't know. 19, or I think 1940, 
I think that was just the range that they. Um, well, the reason why I'm saying it's in the 40s is because of the the model vehicles, uh, yeah. the the style of music that they were playing at the end. At the uh, very end, yes, uh, yeah, you're right. They got the Tesseract from 1972, I think it was. Yeah, because uh, Howard was, you know, older but not, you know, elderly at that point. Um, exactly. It wasn't the same younger actor. It was the older. Uh, okay, okay, that's what I was thinking. In, in 1972, she had a picture of Steve Rogers in yes. her office. At that point in history, she's married to someone else. Why didn't she have a picture of her husband on the desk? And that's the thing. She wouldn't have been because it's always been Steve that whole time. Right. Like I said, it's a fixed point in time. <laughs> this He's is... already come back to her. <laughs> right. But... To us, he has. Yeah, exactly. Wow, it's a, see, it's. I feel like I feel I feel smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, like so, I, technically speaking, somebody, when when tight. Steve Rogers is fighting Steve Rogers, there's a third Steve Rogers out there. There is literally a third Steve Rogers out there. Yes. <laughs> so now many that, Steve that Rogers. Was so great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, that whole the whole heist the middle section which is the heist which was basically an ant-man movie was so <laughs> great yeah uh, the whole thing and and i knew that something big was going to happen with uh iron man whenever he got closure with his father because i'm like you don't do this if you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna do something later but i do have to say uh that i'm glad that i can cosplay a as Thor now. <laughs> <laughs> and at the very but at the very end, there was a moment where my blood pressure was so high <laughs> that I was vibrating involuntarily. I mean, and it was that moment when Doctor Strange started and all of the sorcerers started popping up all over the place and people started walking through the portals <laughs> and they're all standing there in a row just before the Avengers assemble. And it, it just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't not be, I couldn't be more excited. I, I don't think I'll ever be more excited than that moment <laughs> of my life. I don't think it's possible without going full stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. But that's how I felt about the movie. It almost gave me a stroke with how excited <laughs> I was. You can put that on a poster. Now we can go to Steve and get his thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> eh, he was okay. <laughs> Very fair. Next week on the Dairy Dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of like what Wally was saying, I was very, very happy to see Clint being developed as much as he was. Um, I think that he had gotten kind of the short end of the stick through a lot of the movies and it was really nice to see his character very developed and we care about him and man that the scene with him in Black Widow fighting over the edge of the cliff fighting uh, over who was going to kill themselves uh, oh, man that 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 I think was the the most emotional scene for me but oddly enough when 
Black Widow actually died, I don't know. I couldn't really let myself get sad about it because I didn't know if they were going to pull a trick and pull bring her back to life. Yeah, and that so was the it, thing. You get robbed of that emotional resonance. Yeah, because like I knew, like even with when that happened to Gamora in the previous film, it's like, okay, is she really dead? I, you know, it was almost like I don't know what to feel because I don't know if I trust the filmmakers to be honest with me on this. And so with this, it's like, well, I know Gamora's coming back somehow. You know, I, I don't remember in, where in the film that happened, if we'd already seen Gamora or not. Uh, I think we had. But it was like, so are they going to pull a fast one and save her? Because I know that they're planning a, uh, a Black Widow movie. So, I mean, which, you know, so in, in that case, it was almost like they did themselves a disservice in announcing that they're going to, or, or sort of announcing that they're going to uh, do a Black Widow movie. Because I was just expecting, yeah, okay, she'll be, she'll be back. And then when she wasn't, it was like, oh, like, really? Wait, they no. actually killed her? And, and then it was almost like a, a delayed reaction of, of, you know, sadness for her. Yeah. But uh, Professor Hulk... Not a, a lot of weight, weight to it, but I feel like that, that was, scene would have been a lot more emotional, impactful for me if it had been uh, Bruce Banner instead of uh, Hawkeye. Um. yeah but they did tease the relationship between clint and natasha in previous films so i mean it it made sense for it to be those two yeah it made sense for me too because because they were the the relationship between natasha and hulk was more strained at this point so i don't think it would have been as impactful to me well bruce's reaction was appropriate so it still said it still showed that they had some emotional bondage. But the thing is that, you know, even from the very beginning, when we first see them, I think they were first together in the Avengers. um, They had a history together. And I think it was more of a close friendship and that bond rather than a romantic interest. But when they revealed that Clint had a family, I was a little, little disappointed because I was expecting a real romantic relationship between the two of them. And yeah. it, it kind of took me by surprise that, oh, they're really? He has a family? So where does that leave them? And it must have just been they are close friends and they are just they they're soulmates in that regard, if you will, as opposed yeah. to a romantic relationship. And, and and that goes to show that in the language of film, you don't see a lot of platonic relationships between men and women. Right. And yeah. as as a result, that's why whenever something like this happens, it's like a, a huge revelation. It's like, well, I thought they had a relationship. No, they're just friends, really good friends. Because, I mean, and that's another thing. Throughout um, many of the films, she, uh, the Black Widow has an arrow necklace that, yeah. that is uh, from the filmmakers actually purposefully gave that to her as something that Hawkeye gave her. Um, So, so they're always the, they're bonded and best friends essentially. Well, obviously I'm sorry to cut you off, but obviously with, if they're going to proceed with the black widow movie, it's going to have to be a prequel of sorts. Oh, I hope, I hope that they have Hawkeye in it and they can develop that backstory with the two of them a little bit. 
100%. And they have a Hawkeye TV show coming, too, so we'll see. They do, yes. But it sounds like it's it's after the events of this movie because he's training, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, shoot. Who becomes the next Hawkeye, basically. Oh, um, well, what's her name? Um, yeah, her. <laughs> that, that one girl whose name escapes me. <laughs> the girl in the movie. Uh, I don't think she was in the movie. No, she wasn't in this movie. Oh, no. she was? Oh, okay. If it's who I'm thinking of. No, it's uh-huh. in the comic. It's a character from the comic books that becomes Hawkeye after he becomes Ronan. Mm. I'm looking this up. Yeah. The the name um, the name escapes me. But uh, I have to look it up. That kind of bothers me. The further away we get from the movie, the more I feel bad about uh, Natasha. Yeah. And I... I really wish that we had a funeral for her. Yeah. I felt mm-hmm. she got short. <sighs> Kate Bishop. You know what? You're absolutely right. We had Tony's funeral, but nothing for Natasha other yeah. than kind of the formal you know, Hulk, Hulk throwing the bench or whatever he did. Yeah, which I guess was their shorthand for the mourning process. Right. Because right. uh, everything happened so quickly in this movie. Right. Uh, I mean, once it got going anyway. And I just feel like. Kate Bishop. Yeah. That is her. Not to be confused with Cat Bishop, who is someone else. (laughs) That is, that is, no, that is not the new Hawkeye. We shout out to Cat, by the way. (laughs) If she's listening, hello. Hi. Cat. But what I was, what I was going to say is uh, any nerd bar in the world. Uh, is is losing business if they don't have services for for an <laughs> at some point. <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, anyways, another thing I was going to say was um, Professor Hulk. I thought that was phenomenal that mm-hmm. they went that route, and oh. because you know the big speculation in Infinity Wars was why didn't he turn into Hulk? What was going on? I don't know if we really quite got an answer to that. It was almost a hand wave, but the subtext was that there was an issue there with Hulk. And he even says Hulk failed and Bruce Banner failed. And he, in the five years, he was able somehow to blend the two together to come up with the kind of perfect combination of Bruce's brains and Hulk's brawn. I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie, too, is when they go back to the they time travel back to the the final battle of the first Avengers movie. And, you know, Hulk has to pretend he's the Hulk of that era. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, like, you know, you know uh, the one thing that, that kind of disappointed me about that sequence, which I mean, I know they didn't have time to do this, but there was a fan theory out there that in the first Avengers movie, there's a scene where Tony um, saves a little kid or there's some interaction with some little kid. And the the theory is that that's actually Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was uh, Iron Man two Iron Man two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that, I know what scene that, you're talking that, about though. <laughs> that is, that actually was Peter Parker according to the filmmaker. Yeah. They came out and acknowledged yeah. that. Okay. I, I was thinking that it was part of the Avengers. But, uh, uh, okay, so I'm screwed up. All right, moving That's on. Our... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to keep track of all the events in all these movies. Yeah. Well, you know, at least it's not hundreds and hundreds of comics that we had to read. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's one thing that I really loved about this movie, though, is that 
we do go back into scenes from the pre- some of the previous films. Yeah, of very course, Back to them, the Future too. One of them happens to be um, for uh, Dark World, <laughs> but uh, but still, you know, uh, like, they made <laughs> it work. Make me watch that again, aren't they? <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't find that a horrible movie, even though I did fall asleep during it when I first saw it. But that was more because I was exhausted than because of the movie. But um, I don't know. I fell asleep during it too, so I <laughs> I had to rewatch it, large portions of it. But I, I actually. Even though it's not a perfect movie, it's not a great movie, um, I liked it better than the first Thor movie um, mm-hmm. because I thought it's just they did more with the story and, and it was just a little more cohesive and, of course, advancing the storyline a little bit more. But, oh, oh, which brings me to Natalie Portman was in this movie. And I was so yeah. happy to see her because <laughs> yeah. she showed up at the <laughs> premiere and everyone was like, "What? why is she at the premiere? Is she in this movie? And they wouldn't release it. And sure enough, she was like, yes, because of all the problems with, you know, her leaving the MCU. And, you know, I mean, it was just there was a lot of baggage with with her. Well, she got Patty Jenkins hired to direct Thor, too. And then they fired her. And Mm -hmm. ever since she was like, no, screw you guys. (laughs) Yeah. So it it was just I don't know. I I just I, I was very happy that they let bygones be bygones and, and brought her back into this film. Yeah. Yeah. Now, although one person that was conspicuously missing was Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. But in that movie, wasn't he like completely incapacitated for most of the movie? It, it, and I'm sure that there was a story reason for it. Um, but Hey, we got to see Renee Russo. So that's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. I was so happy to see her back too. And her, her scene with Thor was so nice. It was. Yeah. I yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie actually, because it, you get, you got kind of the closure with, with Odin from Ragnarok. And now you have you the did. closure with, yeah. w- with his mother from, from Endgame. And, and that's kind of what the whole movie was about to me was closure because you, you there know was a lot of closure because you know with with all the other movies they've had a build up to something and it kind of ties into the fact that this movie didn't even have a post credit scene because yeah. this was the crescendo of all of these films like to me everything had closure from you know Tony Stark you know sacrificing himself which one of the more powerful parts to me was as Thanos is about to put on the new gauntlet when Doctor Strange looks at at Tony Stark and holds up the number one I was like oh no it's gonna be him and the the thing is I, I could in that one moment I know that Tony knows what he has to do yeah yeah he's looking at Strange to confirm it he does and it's like, all right, here we go. And yeah. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> What's he about to do? Stranger was just uh, setting him up so he could be the only Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, and kind of going to back to what Jason was saying about uh, Captain America holding Thor's hammer. I, I also yelled something, but I won't, re- <laughs> I won't repeat it on this podcast, but it, it, it got a decent laugh from everyone else that was in the theater because I said it way late, way louder than I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, whole, the whole theater erupted when that happened. And it, for, for a good reason, because it was 
so epic. I mean, the, the, it was. <laughs> well, and that's the cool thing about these movies is that they're not just movies, they're events, because that's something I love about going to see these movies on opening night is that you almost feed off the interaction from everyone else who's you know getting into it. You know, I, I go back to, you know, the, seeing The Force Awakens on opening night when Han and Chewie show up on the Millennium Falcon and that place just mm-hmm. erupted. So, yeah. you know, and I even went at noon on a Friday afternoon and the place was still energetic. And it, it was awesome. And I think that just speaks to the magnitude of of this film and something that I was worried about with it because we talked about this last time a lot of the more recent Marvel movies have had a lot of humor in them and sometimes a little too much. And I was thinking, given the context of what this is about, I really hope they don't overkill the humor. I knew there would be some in it, but just the little one-liners, like when Thor shows up and he's all out of shape and Stark basically calls him the Big Lebowski. Like That made me laugh out loud, and it, it, it was kind of a nice callback because the villain from the original Iron Man was Jeff Bridges. So I, I thought yeah. that was a, a little bit of a cool reference. But even, you know, at the end when it's set up for Thor to go off with the Guardians and he calls them the Asgardians of the Galaxy, I, oh, I, I, think, that's, I think that's genius for Thor Brilliant. to be included in Guardians 3. I think he's going to feed off of them so well. I mean, it, 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 it worked in... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's... If they do it, I think it's a, a great move because their scenes in Infinity War were some of the highlights. <laughs> yes. Dude, if they don't call it as Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> we're missing an opportunity. Yeah. And to me, one of the more powerful scenes in that movie, I mean, and we've touched on a lot of them, but when Stark puts on the glove and he says, I am Iron Man, and he snaps oh. his fingers, and Thanos is seeing all of his empire turn to dust, and he just sits down and he realizes, I've lost. Yep. Before, and no. there's no dialogue or anything. And then Josh he just slowly. Is such a good actor. Oh, he was so great <laughs> as Thanos. And I, it's going to be tough for there to ever be as good of a villain in that universe as him. Well, well you know, just the fight scenes were showing how strong and how powerful he was when you have Iron Man and Thor and Captain America all going up against him and losing. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I mean, right there, just the sheer power, which, you know, of course was part of the um, credit goes to the animators, but um, I think that the character just as, as a whole, the way that he was conceived and executed was, is just really brilliant. Um, And, but kind of getting back to what one of you guys said earlier that gee, in the first, you know, 15 minutes or so, they killed him and with Thor chopping off his head. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> and in trying to figure out, okay, well, that was a big surprise, you know, because I, all along I was building up in my mind, okay, they've got to go to him and the story is going to be somehow <clears throat> getting the, the gauntlet from him, getting the stones from him, fighting him. And it wasn't. And yeah. like, Oh, okay. This is going to be a surprise. I don't know where this is going now. Well, yeah, my, my so thought, happy with that. My thought was that they were going to fight him. They were they were going to lose again, and then they retreat and then decide, okay, well, we're just going to go back in time and find the stones before he gets them. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I can see that. He had to, he had to play the character <clears throat> a bit different too, because we by the you know 
by the second act, we're having to deal with a Thanos from five years ago who right. had complete different motivations. Because in Infinity War, you know, he after he killed Gamora, he was, you know, a, 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 a changed after that you know his motivations for doing what he did like in this one you know the the five years ago version of thanos was way more raw yeah you know? yes yeah. was ready to just burn it all down i mean one of the one of my favorite moments in the movie is where scarlet witch confronts him and you know she's she's all badass and flying and, and you took everything from me i don't even know you, you know, it's like, that, i'm like that that's that's pretty sweet <laughs> okay now talking about thanos we gotta talk about nebula uh, nebula so yeah. i mean karen gillen killed it in this movie. yes i mean she, she sure was did. great and which i've liked the character before um, and I've really enjoyed how the character has changed over, you know, through through the movies. But this one, when you see basically the good Nebula and the bad Nebula, and it's like, and these this is the same person. It's not like oh, we've got evil twins or whatever. Yeah, this is you literally see the change. The same person. Yeah, you do. she she and the, and the thing with her, Carrie Gillum disappeared into the role anyway. Because whenever I'm watching Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't see her at all. Right. And, well, a lot of it is the makeup, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but and and yeah, they synthesize her voice. But she just like as a person seems so much more, you know, energetic and and outgoing as a person. But with but this is a stone cold killer. <laughs> you know, this is you know she if she looks at you, you are. Like, ooh, I'm probably going to be, you know, beheaded in the next couple of seconds type, type of situation. So with her performance it, as both of these characters, it was th – there was no danger of mistaking the two. Right. You know, I, I could tell very clear, and it wasn't even a question until you just brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what's interesting about Gamora is the character that we have been with for, you know, last several movies is dead. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. who the one that's existing right now is a pre-Guardians version of the character. Yeah. So, which, I mean, if you think about it, the Guardians of the Galaxy, two of their members have died and come back in another version, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Groot is not the same Groot, and Gamora no. is not the same as what we because she doesn't have any of the memories of knowing Peter or anything. And so, <laughs> no. whatever they do in Guardians Three, she's got basically has to go through that character arc all over again if she's going to be back in the same place that we left her previously. Yeah. You know, basically, she and Quill have to develop a relationship again. Yeah. Which I think is kind of plays into, you know, the we had because we haven't talked about the time jump yet because mm -hmm. there was the five year time jump between Thanos or the original Thanos being killed. And then when the Avengers decide to go back in time, right. I think that's something that can be played on in this next phase of the Marvel movies is you have those like when, you know, Peter Parker comes back to life and you see him at the end going back to high school and he sees, uh, I think Ned is his name. Yeah. 
That yeah. And you have the uh, the people who survived the snap have moved on because they are five years older. And Peter even says, you know, he woke up on Titan next to Doctor Strange. So I think that can be something that is really touched upon in this next phase is who those who have survived, how have they moved on? And those who did not survive and were resurrected, Mm -hmm. how are they reacclimated back to their life? Because things have changed. I mean, five years is a long time. Yeah. Okay. Now I have two questions and one is specifically regarding Peter, but one, you you said that he woke up next to Dr. Strange on the other planet. Where did people reappear? Did they come back wherever they disappeared? You know, when they turned to dust? That's what it sounds like. Because, Because some people were in airplanes. So did they just show up in the middle of the sky and fall to their deaths? That's a very good point. Oh, that would suck. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we saw a helicopter crash into an, a building. I mean, yeah, that's, so, that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> it's raining, man. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, some people were in cars. Some people, I mean, you, you just they just show up wherever they disappeared. It, that's going to be a problem. So, I mean, I, I would hope <laughs> that, you know, the snap brought them back in a safe place. (laughs) But um, uh, the other question though, well, actually that kind of feeds into something else, but we've got to build, rebuild this entire planet and not, not to mention everything else in the, in the universe, but just think about like when you said, people have moved on the people who survived the snap, they've gone up for five more years. Schools have closed down. Businesses have closed down. You know, things have, are different. People, other people may have died in that in that meantime. Yeah. And so the ones who were snapped and they've been brought back, now they've got to reacclimate themselves into like, their jobs are gone. You know, Peter went back to school. Presumably all of his friends or the people in his inner circle were snapped also because we know we have a, another movie coming up with, you know, everybody, um, least three of them are back. Yeah. But they're not going to be just, well, I'm going back to school now. I mean, they have to get re-enrolled and have to, the school is going to have to figure out how to double their population again. I mean, where are the teachers coming? Well, yeah, I guess some of the teachers were snapped. And so they've got to be rehired or be, I mean, people just don't have their jobs again. So, you know, there's a lot of problems that this world is facing that this movie didn't even touch upon. <laughs> maybe that's going to be some of the stuff that we're going to have to deal with over the next couple of movies. And maybe Spider-Man Far From Home actually does deal with that. I mean, we know that based on the trailers, he goes off on a trip to Europe. But, um, you know, maybe that's something that's like, yeah, after everything, we just need to try to get back to normal. But I mean, what is normal anymore? Yeah. I mean, just based on what, I mean, you look at, you know, where Ant-Man lives and there were, you know, burned out cars and all this stuff still there. Nobody cleaned anything up in that amount of time. So, yeah, this world is is a mess. I definitely think it's what they have to touch on, especially with this next phase. I think it will be touched on in Far From Home. But the thing is, like, we don't even know what movies are coming up next. Yeah. Yeah. We we only know of Far From Home, uh, Black Panther 2, 
and Black Widow, I think. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Um, and Black Widow has an actual Elemental actually. So. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, Black Widow uh, hasn't actually been officially announced. They're, they've announced cast members that are attached to it, but it hasn't actually been like, officially <laughs> We have attached people to this movie that doesn't exist. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Such is the way of Hollywood. <laughs> right. So I guess the next question I'll ask is, what do you guys think is next? And what direction would you like to see the MCU go in? Because, you know, we, we do have... Marvel now has X-Men and Fantastic Four, so I think it's going to be quite a while before we see them, but I think that's the next crescendo of the MCU, I think, has to be the introduction of those two groups. I, th- I think uh, the smartest thing that Marvel could do at this point is they need to figure out a way to bring the Fantastic Four into the universe and have a good cast, especially someone to play um, uh, Reed Richards. Reed. Reed Richards, because we don't have Robert Downey Jr. anymore. We don't have Chris <laughs> Evans, and those guys have been, you know, the, the backbone <clears throat> of the MCU for the last eleven years. And I don't think we have anybody that's that likable and that strong a personality to be that kind of central you know, those central backbones of, of the, the universe. And we need another scientist also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got, I think black Panther is uh, possibly, uh, sister. (laughs) Well, well, okay. As far as scientists, yes, but yes, you're right. We do need, we do need, I love Chadwick Boseman, but he was not even the most interesting part of that movie. That's true. That was, that was Eric Kilgore. Uh, but I uh, Killmonger. But Killmonger, yeah. Uh, what um, what I'm hoping for is that we get to see some some characters that have been um, that we haven't seen yet. That it doesn't have to be in the X Men family or the Fantastic Four family. You know, we we they have thousands of characters, and we haven't seen all of them yet. So I would like to see a Moon Knight movie eventually or and well, I don't know. Is the, do you think Doctor Strange is enough? Probably not. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I like Benedict Cumberbatch, but I, he, I don't think he has that. He's got charisma. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Robert Downey Jr. just has that something extra, you yeah, know, yeah. That, yeah. Well, the thing is that Doctor Strange, at the beginning of the movie, that character was almost a clone of Tony Stark. You know, he was very pompous, very sarcastic, you know, witty, but kind of, you know, arrogant manner. And then the movie changed him. So the Doctor Strange that we know now is a a completely different animal. He's not that same Tony Stark character. So. And, and I'm not saying that we need another Tony Stark character, but yeah, you're right. We need someone that is a leader, you know, especially, you know, with Captain America, Steve Rogers out of the picture. Um, we do need a central character that is, you know, basically everything kind of revolves around to some degree. Yeah. And I think the Fantastic Four could be that. I mean, as the team itself, you know, 
Yeah. I, I have reservations about adding the X-Men into this universe. Um, same way. Well, first off, there's so many X-Men characters that they almost need to be their own series separate from MCU. Yeah. Um, just like the, the Fox series, which oh God, became a mess. Um, you know, they had a, a clear leader driving the series just like, you know, and it could be Kevin Feige or maybe you could turn it over to someone else. But there needs to be a clear vision to make sure that, you know, the movies all tie in and there's a continuity there. Um, but the thing is that, you know, mutants have been around for a very long time. So how do you explain their existence in the MCU that has never shown them? Where it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's mutants. Yeah. yeah. Or, or are they a new phenomenon? You know, maybe because of the snap or something that now. You know, that's DNA, a good idea. Yeah, that is a good point. You know, so now we don't have all this history that the X-Men had, you know, but it's just a brand new thing. But the thing is, though, that by doing that, how do you explain Wolverine? Yeah. How do you explain Professor X? How do you, you know, I mean, those, those are iconic characters that Magneto, you know, I mean, he's an old man, or at least the, the version that we saw in, in the first, you know, in the first series of X-Men. And he goes back to World War II. So they're going to have to do something different with them, you know, in this, whatever they do with, you know, at this point. Um, but he does have a history. And so these characters weren't just made mutants overnight. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but at the same time, I think maybe they could just introduce certain characters like they are now, you know, it, it, where we don't need really an X-Men. But like, they've always been there. It's just that no, none of the stories have really brought us to them. At the end. Yeah. That, to me, just sounds too convenient, though. That, oh, yeah, they've been with us all along. Well, I mean, it, that's how they would end up having to introduce any other character. <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, like for and and not to belabor this point too much, but for example, whenever whenever that big Avengers Assemble moment happened, mm -hmm. there was a conspicuous absence of all of the TV superheroes. Yeah. yeah. So Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Power Man, Iron Fist, and Ghost Rider, none of them showed up. Right. And it's presumably because I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like... Well, they, but they the thing is though, that with them, I can't have an explanation of it. The Avengers didn't know about them. You know, I mean, they, that wasn't in their radar. So, I mean, the people that came through to fight were all people that were within their circle and the, the defenders just, they were localized. So, yeah. I mean, presumably there are people with powers in other cities, but the big difference is they're not mutants as we know them from X-Men. Yeah. You know, so they have, they might have powers, but there's usually some other explanation for it. Well, you and know, that's so. why I'm, why I'm saying, you know, we could just, they could be in just, they could be there. It's just that no one's really, no one's really had two thoughts about them, you know? Yeah. But, but then, you, but the, but the thing with the X-Men is that they are 
part of society, you know, that there that there's a big enough knowledge of them that, you know, Congress is trying to make laws against them. And, you know, so there's a huge presence there. And I just like I said, I'd find it just very convenient if they just said, oh, yeah, by the way, mutants have been with us all along. We just never mentioned them. Uh, you know, I don't know. That just well, no, I don't think it would even be like that. I mean, because the, the whole the whole idea of Xavier School for Gifted Children is that it's hiding in plain sight. It's there, but no one really knows what goes on in there. Yeah, but we have blue people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people with with disfigurements and weird things growing out of them that you know they're not always just hiding you know i mean yeah but those people <laughs> exist frankly frankly there there are there are gay people in the mcu and we only met one this movie <laughs> <laughs> well we don't know about valkyrie yeah <laughs> well Still, well, we weren't. They weren't specific with her. Yeah. <laughs> moving forward, <laughs> I would love to see some some different type of team up things. Like I was a huge fan as a kid of like the Daredevil Spider Man comics. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love like a Team Red movie. show up in a Spider Man movie and have them take on the Kingpin. Oh, that you would know? be a fucking. Yeah. I would take all my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think those two characters work well together. Uh, if only it were the Vincent D'Onofrio kingpin. That's and what if, I'm saying. I don't if, see why it can't be. Well, rights issues. If, if we I do mean, simple. It's the X and into the MCU, why not start it off with uh, uh, another Hulk movie and have him fight Wolverine like the way Wolverine oh, was... Uh, in the comics. That's one of my Trump. biggest regrets is that we could never see the Hugh Jackman Wolverine fight the Hulk. Cause that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with like, you know, Tony Stark interacting with Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier. Like yeah. that would just be cinema gold. Yeah. But that's such as the way who of would they get to, Who would they get to play <laughs> Xavier? Mm, oh, that's a good I question. Xavier. I'm age appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, because Patrick Stewart was just so perfect for that character. I mean, that's true. But and, and nothing against um, James uh, McAvoy. Uh, McAvoy. McAvoy. Um, he's okay, but obviously a different you know age and different take. But um, for those the the second generation of X Men, I loved Michael Fassbender as Magneto much yeah. more oh, yeah. than um, McAvoy as Xavier. Yeah, and, and like I said, McAvoy was fine early on um, with him bald and in the wheelchair, and he's okay. Yeah, yeah I, mean, feels, I, don't, I don't have anything against him, but it, just, it feels incorrect. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it just yeah. it just does. And, and one of the things I want to see before I die, I want to see the Hulk and the Thing fight on screen. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> It's clobbering time. Hulk smash. <laughs> <laughs> Although now that he's Professor Hulk, I don't think he would say that anymore. <laughs> I feel it's a bit gratuitous, but Hulk smash. It was, wasn't it? Like it was the sweetest damn thing on the planet when he walks up and gives uh, um, what's his name, Ant Man, uh, Scott. What's his name? Uh, Scott Lang. Lang. Lang gives him the tacos. 
Yeah. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like, be careful. Be careful idiot on the landing pad. <laughs> you know, I, I do. I hate to, I hate to be the one to bring this up, but I think that th- that considering everything that they've accomplished from start to finish, I really believe that Robert Downey Jr. at least needs to get a nomination for Best Actor. Oh, I think yeah. Endgame should be nominated for Best Picture. I think so too. I think it will be. I guarantee you, it will be. And that that's a great segue into what I wanted to bring up before before we closed out. As of this recording. Endgame has broken over 20 box office records. Crazy. Including largest Thursday opening, largest Friday opening day, and single day opening. Largest Saturday, Sunday, domestic opening. <laughs> fastest to 150 million, fastest to 350 million. This thing has made over 1.2 billion in its opening weekend. It is the culmination of an unheard of way of storytelling when it comes to film. I, I understand the episodic aspect of it with television, but it hasn't really been done with film before, not to this no. level. No. And, and the fact that yeah. so many people have enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's, it's easily the best movie of the year, in my opinion, the biggest film event of the year. And if it's not at well, least nominated, well. then it shows that, you know, it's, there's no winning when it comes to superhero <laughs> films. For what this thing is going to end up. I can up. see there's no pleasing you. <laughs> it's gonna break two billion. I guarantee that. I oh, want yeah. it to break Avatar's record. I oh yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's. Do you think it could do three before it's all said and done? I think it has a shot of doing it, and that's something that I did want to bring up. Is one? Do you think that? the rise of Skywalker can be on this level. And two, do you no. think it will be? No and no. Break a billion. I, I, I know it'll break a billion, but yeah, it'll... it'll make a billion dollars. It's not going to make, it, it's, it's not going to make this kind of money in the first weekend. It's a, we we're looking at, yes, this is like the culmination of, of the whole series at this point, but that's what, you know, but it's not the same. It's well, you know, you've, you've got all those uh, uh, toxic fanboys that are going to be hating on this movie all ten times that they see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Live reviews bashing the movie after watching it for the fourth time in the theaters. <laughs> exactly. And this fourth time, I realized that I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, and I'm needing to see it again to hate it even more. Um, <laughs> now, I actually... Worst movie I don't know if it'll match Endgame um, because I think that to some degree um, the MCU has reached a broader audience, but let's not discount the rabidness of, of Star Wars fans. I mean, you've got multiple generations that have grown up on Star Wars and generally speaking, there's a group that go back and see it over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, any movie, even if they hate it, they see it multiple times. Um, so, I mean, I know that that Solo didn't do well, uh, comparatively speaking, but um, I, I just I think that this one will 
hopefully um, some of the people that didn't like The Last Jedi will come back to this one because of J.J. Abrams returning and, you know, oh, it's correcting the mistakes of that movie and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think that there's going to be a huge audience there for it. But will it be will it top end game? I think it'll probably be a strong second. Yeah, I yeah. don't. Um, not not to go into any of the the more controversial aspects of the fan base, but the I, I don't even if we if I discount those if I if I completely remove that from there I I really believe that if this were if this were like the very first Star Wars movie in a very long time or mm-hmm. something of that nature, it might have a better chance. But because it is the third uh, in, in this uh, in this trilogy, I, I really believe it's going to make a hell of a lot of money, but yeah. not this obscene amount of money where I feel like I should avert my eyes just looking at the headlines. Well, I think one part of the problem, because Solo was a disappointment, uh, even though a lot of people really liked it, but oh, they didn't like go it. see yeah. it, a lot of people didn't see it in the theater. They waited until home video. Um, Which was a and, mistake. Yeah, it, but it, they're just with that, following the, the, you know, the bad vibes from Last Jedi and the controversy and all that stuff, um, I think that may be what's going to hurt the box office for yeah. uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, and like, I think if Solo had not come out, or if it came out this year, you know, like uh, in last December, yeah, whenever it was last December, um, <laughs> all, the, all the time is blending together now. Um, but if there was some distance between Last Jedi and Solo, I think that would have helped that movie. And I think it would have kept yeah. the hype train going a little bit. I or think so too. If you just had some years in between, you know, because yeah. it's just with a with a Star Wars film coming out every year, it's a little bit different than two or three Marvel films coming out a year because with those it's different characters and different scenarios and different tones, and it's not like just seeing. I mean, it, to some degree, yeah, we talk about this being episodic and being one big TV series, but there's a big difference between. Ant Man, let's say, and a Captain America movie, yeah, and, and Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor. I mean, these are—they all kind of have their own little t- voice, if you will, their own their own style that blends into the big whole. But with Star Wars, it it all feels like it's in the same universe because it is, you know, it is yeah. all Star Wars, no matter what time period it, it takes place, and so. I think people get burned out on, on that a little bit. And, and remember, this is also love it or hate it. This is the last movie in the the Skywalker saga that was yeah. forty yeah. years ago. So right, it'll have that going for it too. But this uh, is the final movie in the you know the movies that we've loved and watched all these years. This is the last one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and this, I think, I'm gonna end on if this movie was the reason why Endgame is so different to me than the next Star Wars movie is because the last Avengers movie Infinity War ended in such dire straits to the point where we had to know how do we get out of this 
It was like the ending of a Breaking Bad episode. It was Empire Strikes Back. It, it, yeah, but, but like it was Empire Strikes Back as if half of everybody got frozen in carbonate. <laughs> and I, because the stakes don't seem as high for Star Wars, the story, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal. She agrees. Yeah, with you. yeah the cat agrees with you. <laughs> she absolutely does as she curls up in my chair. Yeah, I, I think if I were to offer a prediction right now, I would say when we get to the end of 2019 and we look at the amount of money that's been made at the box office, Endgame will sit at number one and Rise of Skywalker will sit at number two. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I do think it is going to make a lot of money for the reason of I think a lot of people are going to want to see where they go after The Last Jedi and because it's the last film of the Star Wars saga as we know it. And after this year, Disney will have enough money to just buy the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bold prediction for 2020: Disney buys Nintendo. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no. God, that would suck because they gotta, <laughs> Universal has the theme park rights. Yeah, <laughs> but Universal we, has the theme park rights to Marvel uh, in the East Coast, anyway, which you know Disney owns. Uh, they have the theme park rights to The Simpsons, which Disney owns. <laughs> the, they have the, the if they got the theme park rights to Nintendo, that would just be the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we we can save more Star Wars discussion for a little later on in the year because I, I definitely think we should do a like a Star Wars saga wrap up in December. We can do it either before or after Rise of Skywalker. I mean, we could do it the same format as we've done here, or we can just wait till after. Rise of Skywalker comes out and just do one big podcast marathon. Yeah. I like we did this where we kind of talked about, you know, the kind of the retrospective leading up to the the final movie and then watch the final movie and then come back and discuss our thoughts while it's still fresh in the memory. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. But um, mm-hmm. any other thoughts you guys want to add to not just Endgame, but the entire MCU, like as we've seen it, you know, over this decade plus before we uh, call this a show? I just, it, it was amazing. I mean, the last 11 years leading up to this point has been, <laughs> I'm glad I was alive to see it. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do next. I don't know if they can do it again. I mean, but it's going to be fun to watch them try. I had heard that um, this next phase that they were just going to focus on individual films and not try to build towards a big event. And I think that's exactly what they should do with this ending, you know, because the characters still exist. There's still stories to be told, but they need to be individualized and more personal stories instead of this huge epic. And we can get to that later, maybe another five years down the road, build to another epic. But for now, I think they just need to see what Thor and the guardians are going to do and see what, um, you know, uh, Falcon Captain America is going to be doing, uh, and, and some of the other characters that Doctor Strange will do next. You know, just so um, I think that's a smart move for them to just uh, okay, here's one little story that just focuses on this and doesn't have to tie into anything else. Yeah, I think we just need a breather for a while. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I gotta be upfront. I don't think. 
I know this sounds like hyperbole, but I don't think that any other movie that I will ever see is going to top the level of excitement that I had watching this movie. <laughs> and it is everything I wanted it to be. Yes, I had I had a few problems with it. It's not a perfect movie, but it was perfect for what it is. Yeah. And what it is, is amazing. And I cried almost from frame one to the end of it because of how wonderful it was. And uh, I couldn't let, yeah. believe I was seeing it. <laughs> let, let me add just the end credits where it, this is a little uh, thievery from Star Trek Six, but to have... Yeah. The, the actors sign off literally with their signature there. Oh, that was names. great. They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that got to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <sighs> I agree 100 percent with what Steve said. I think they need to focus on the fallout from Endgame, how the world will recoup. And in doing that, tell the smaller stories like your your Spider-Man's, your Black Panther 2, how does Wakanda recover with Doctor Strange and introduce, you know, some other characters as well. As far as a team up, I think at least you wait another five years before you even think of doing that. And I, I think that's where you introduce at least the Fantastic Four and have them become a more permanent fixture. I think you do the Fantastic Four film before it, kind of what they did with Captain Marvel and then have them be a big part of whatever the next, you know, event team up is. Well, they would even if of, they move. I'm sorry. I'll, go ahead. Steve. You go ahead. I was I was just gonna say even if they do another version of the Avengers, it would have to be the new Avengers because yeah. they literally destroyed the building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just everything about the Avengers has been is been destroyed. So, you know, I don't know what what Shield is doing right now, if anything. So. You know, they would have to completely rebuild it and assemble a new team. And basically, if Nick Fury is still leading it, would have to start from scratch. Yeah, so it's going to take you, a while. Uh, the the caliber of villain. I mean, the only. I mean, you had the ultimate big bad in the universe that they defeated with Thanos. I mean, how yeah. where do you go from there? The only other way you go is blackness. Yeah. 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 I think that's what you have to do. But I also think, and I think the rest of the Marvel movies, like I think the universe will be fine. Like I think they'll still be good movies, but I think for us, I don't think anything will match the combination of infinity war and Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it boys. Pack it up. We don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> but just Hollywood. Yeah. Close your doors because movies are over. Yeah. That was a good run. <laughs> uh, but on that note, thank you guys so much for coming back so soon to recap Endgame. We'll have to do it again for star Wars. Thank you for having Absolutely. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thanks again to Steve, Jason and Wally for coming back on the show to talk about Avengers Endgame. If you haven't seen it, well, then I apologize because we just pretty much spoiled the movie for you. But uh, I'm definitely planning on seeing it again uh, in the next week or so. It was so amazing. And I truly think, even after having some time to digest it, 
I liked it more than Infinity War. Just as a movie as a whole, you know, Infinity War was great, and it was borderline top 10 all-time favorite movie for me, but I, I think Endgame tops it, uh, and I can't wait to, to go see it again. But for next week's show, uh, you know, the past couple of shows have been fun, but this one's actually going to... Um, I'm breaking a little bit of a podcasting rule that I set for myself when I first started doing the show, you know, five years ago. I've always kind of stayed away from controversial topics and made it a point to, but I'm breaking that trend for next week's show. I will be chatting with actress Andrea Evans, who is primarily known from being on One Life to Live and Bold and the Beautiful, you know, on those shows for many, many years. But she was the executive producer of a documentary called Rocking the Couch, which deals with the rise of the Me Too movement in Hollywood. Uh, it's a really powerful documentary, uh, even going back to the first you know, reported case of sexual assault in Hollywood and goes through you know, so many really eye-opening topics. But I had the chance to watch the documentary, so... It should be a very interesting podcast next week, to say the least. I'm personally very much looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be interesting to talk about a topic that I haven't really addressed on a public forum before, but it should be a lot of fun. So definitely come back and check out that show next week. And also the week after, um, I will be doing the Parker Syndrome podcast, uh, talking about my first short film. I'll be chatting with the cast and crew, or actually... Julio Diaz, who will be the uh, guest moderator, will be hosting. I'll be sitting on the panel for both parts. Part one will feature the cast, and part two will feature some of the crew members talking about, you know, kind of the inspiration for the film, our time on set, um, why I chose, you know, the story I did, how I came up with it, why I casted the actors that I did, and so on and so forth. It should be a lot of fun. It's definitely going to be different being on the other side of the microphone, but... You know, Julio's fantastic at what he does, so I, I wouldn't want anyone else to be doing it. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, anywhere you can get podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you would, please leave a review. Um, the more reviews I get, the more exposure I get to the podcasting public, which helps the viewership and exposure for the show. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. Also, the Parker Syndrome Podcast will be on Facebook Live. So be sure to follow the Facebook page, and you should get the notification of when we go live. And that will be uh, Saturday, May 11th at 6 p.m. Central Time. And of course, thank you as always to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks once again to Steve, Jason, and Wally. We'll definitely be doing a Star Wars retrospective and a Rise of Skywalker review coming up in December. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for joining me for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday with Andrea Evans. 